0: Okay, Hebrews chapter 6, therefore let us, verse 1 here, therefore let us go on towards perfection. Leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying again the foundation. You need the foundation, but you also need to go beyond it towards completeness. The word perfection, there really means completeness. Now here's, here's the foundation, and this is what we've been teaching on. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God. We talked about that two weeks ago. And then instruction about baptisms. And that's what we're sort of chewing on here. Last week, we, t- we, we, we noted there that there's the, the baptism is in the plural. There's at least two kinds of baptism that the author has in mind. The one is spirit baptism, and we talked about that last week. There is an experience with God that is subsequent to salvation that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's a time where you, um, it's not a one-time experience, it's something we're to be always open to, but it, it's... It's a matter of, of God, of you yielding to God and God filling you with His Spirit, being more controlled by His Spirit, being immersed or dipped into His Spirit. That's what the word baptism means. And it, it, it's not the case that just because you're saved, you're walking in the fullness of that salvation. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about, and we are to be open to that. If you have more questions about that, I encourage you to get, get the tape. This morning, we're going to talk about, or I had wanted to talk about, and we may talk about, I don't know. Let's see what we talk about. But water baptism. Being baptized in water. The the text that I wanted to uh, preach from... (laughs) I'm talking. If I did get to the sermon, here's what I'd preach on. It's Romans chapter 6. So take note of it, even if it's for next week. Romans chapter 6. What then are we to say? In the light of... He's been talking about God's grace in in, in Romans chapter 5. He says, In the light of this, what should we say? Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Since we're saved by grace, should we just keep on sinning, you know, and have fun with it? A lot of people think that way. Well, God will forgive me. Paul says, by no means, not at all. Make in the Greek. Don't even think that. How can we, who are dead to sin, go on living any longer in it? Here's the deal. When you become a believer, you literally, now, you literally die to sin. Your old self, the old you that was addicted to sin, dies. It really is the case that sin doesn't have any power over you. Now, the trouble is, of course, that we we, we have trouble communicating that to our brains, and so we keep on living as though that were not true. But the truth of the matter is, from God's perspective, that you're dead to sin. Now, look what Paul does here, starting in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So now Paul is going to help the Romans remember who they are in Christ by appealing to their baptism. That's the purpose of baptism. It's a reminder. It's a a tombstone for the old self. You look to it to remember that you're dead. But it's also something else. He says this. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too should walk in newness of life. Baptism, if I were going to preach on it, this is what I would say. Baptism is a tombstone for the old self, and it's a birth certificate for the new self. We may get to that later on. But now look at verse 10 and 11. Paul says this, The death that Christ died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. See, he died to sin, he rose, and now he lives to God. In verse 11, Paul says, So also we should consider ourselves, think about yourself, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is alive to God. You are in Christ Jesus. Stop thinking of yourself as being alive to sin. You're dead to it. Start thinking of yourself as being alive to God because you're in Christ Jesus and that's what's true about you. And baptism is there to show that. Okay, let's pray. Father, uh, I would just pray that right now you give me in a succinct amount of time the words to say to communicate the thing that's on my heart to say. And I just want to surrender to you, Lord. I just pray, God, that we could relax in your presence and And uh, get from your word what we need to get from your word, Lord. Anoint your word as it goes forth. And build us into the people you want us to be, Lord God, and use this as a catalyst to do something even beyond here to the church in the Twin Cities, Lord. Be glorified in all of us and begin to prepare our hearts for the worship that will come after the message. In your name we pray. Amen. I uh, wanted to start with, uh, and this was the pre-sermon sermon that turned into the sermon, but... I really do feel the need to do this. Uh, This is really heavy on my heart, Um, and it started Thursday with a message that I preached uh, for uh, Youth Youth for Christ. And as I was preaching it, some things were happening. This frequently happens where you're preaching on something, and God begins to work in your heart towards something else on a different uh, occasion. And that was this morning. God began to deal with me about the message I had prepared about baptism. I was preaching on the unity of the church uh, and this Youth for Christ thing. And it began to hit me halfway through that message that what I was preaching was in contradiction to what I was preparing to preach this morning. And that led to a a little bit of uh, introspection. There's been a lot of that going on in my life lately, and not all of it is pleasant, but it uncovered this thing that I need to repent of, and I need to repent of it publicly, and it's this. I discovered that in my life, there was, um, on this issue about baptism, an area that I had not really dealt with, and it was this. I, I had always gotten life, a little bit of life, a little bit of ego stroking, to some degree, from the fact that I believed that I was right on this issue. Early on in my Christian walk, I was a part of a group that made a big deal out of baptism and about being baptized right. You've got to be baptized right if you're a true Christian, and that was part of their teaching, and that got lodged in here somewhere. Now, the rest of your life goes on, and some of you have this experience where there's something you're taught and it just sort of sits there, and the rest of your life moves on without it, and it never gets integrated in the rest of your thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Well, that's what baptism was for me a little bit in this area. Um, The rest of my life moves on. I develop a whole theology about the unity of the church and how we're one and there shouldn't be divisions, but I've got this thing on baptism, and I recognize that as I was preparing to preach this message, some of the fuel for my preaching did not come from God. Some of the fuel for my preaching came from a past message that I accepted that was not true. And that had to do with me getting life from being right on this issue. There was a sort of a... I noticed that when I go to preach on this issue, and I've done it, done it several times, there's just a little bit of redneckism that comes out here. And it's kind of like uh, we Baptists, we, we got it right, and no one else does. and I'm going to now tell you the 18 reasons why we're right and the Lutherans are wrong. And, of course, it's smoothed over by now, and it's not as harsh as it used to be, but there's still a tinge of it there. Now I believe that it is never right to get life from being right. It is never right to get life from being right. Let me explain that. We're to get life from, and what I mean by that is we're to get our, our ego stroked, our, our, our sense of significance and well-being, and our sense of worthwhileness. We're to get that from Jesus Christ. He's the source of our life. He's to be the source of everything. We are not, I'll do it, we are not to be getting it from our theology. Now, I'm not saying theology isn't important. I'm a I teach theology. I believe it's important. We need to discuss stuff. We need to investigate stuff. We need to, in appropriate context, even argue about stuff that's well and fine and good. But we shouldn't be trying to derive life from the fact that we got it right and they got it wrong and we see it this way and they see it that way and and, and feeling like we're somehow closer to God or we're spiritually leader or something like that on the basis of the opinions that we hold. Life comes from Jesus Christ. Other things are important, but they're not important in terms of life. And therefore, I really believe that as important as the issue of baptism is, it should never be an issue that divides the church. But to get to that point, I need to surrender some things in my past that I've had about this, this, this issue. It's one thing. Here's what I've learned this week. It's one thing to preach an issue or to have a, have a conviction about something. I have a conviction about the right way to be baptized, okay? Okay. And I need to be out loud about that. I have to integrity walk with my conviction. But it's one thing to believe a conviction sincerely. It's another thing to hold a conviction polemically. And by that I mean to hold it and you're defined not only in terms of what you're for, but you're defined in terms of what you're against. What I'm really seeing here is is that in the body of Christ, there's so much that unites us that we should not take any issue, any doctrine, any thought that is not a central part of the, the faith and define ourselves by who we're against, who, what other people in the body of Christ we are against. You stand up for what you believe, but at the same time, there's got to be an openness towards others. A time to discuss it, a time to think about it, but never should it mean that we don't work together because of our differences in uh, on this issue. Something the Lord laid on me was this, is that The fact that we are in a state of war should condition all of our thinking about this. Okay, follow me on this. We are, what is true, if you've been around here very long, you've heard this before, but it's good to remind ourselves. What is true is that right now we are in war. What is true is that we are commissioned by our captain to do a job down here on earth. What is true is that our job is to do warfare against an enemy who significantly holds this world under siege. What is true is that we are guerrilla warriors stationed behind enemy lines, and our job, it's a non-negotiable job, this isn't a job should you decide to accept it, this is a job that we have to accept, this is what should define us, is that we are to be spreading the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. What is true is that we as a church are an army, the church over the globe is an army, and our job is to take over the earth, take back territory that the enemy stole from God, it belongs to God, and we're to reclaim it. That's what's true, we're in war right now. And in a state of war, you've got to ask the question, what battles do we really want to fight? What is, what really should we be, be, uh, what do we have the luxury to afford discussing and, and fighting over? What the Lord has really been dealing with me is this, that I don't believe in a state of war, that we have the luxury over dividing brothers and sisters on how you baptize. I'm not saying that the convictions you hold about baptism aren't important. They are. Let's talk about them. But we've got to work together to win the war. We've, we, we cannot be divided on, on, on this issue. We don't have the luxury. It's, it's kind of like this. Picture two people in, 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 a, in a trench, and, and there's bullets flying, there's bombs going off, they're in the middle of war, it's, it's all over the place. And they, there's two people in a trench, and they've got to cover each other, okay? You go forward, and I'll cover you by shooting, and then, well, then you get stationed, and I'll go forward, and you cover me. We've got to work together on this thing. But let's say one sees that the other person loads their rifle differently. See, you know, it'd be a lot more effective. You're supposed to load it this way, didn't you? You misunderstood the directions of the commander. We're supposed to load it this way. And the guy says, no, you're supposed to load it this way. I remember distinctly. No, you misinterpreted him. You're supposed to load it this way. Well, that's a fine, wonderful, interesting discussion. But hey, you've got to cover me and I've got to cover you, and we've got to work together. So load the gun the best way you think, but just cover me. We can't sit here and stop covering one another because we disagree about how to load the gun. And that is exactly, I believe, the situation that the body of Christ is in here today. We're at war. We've got spiritual bullets flying. We've got spiritual grenades going on all over the place. We need to talk about how to load the gun. We need to talk about the right way to be baptized. We can talk about all these different theological issues. But in the meantime, there are people going to hell because we don't work with one another, and it ought not to be that way. The body of Christ has got to act like one army, one body, one bride. We've got to begin to share resources and stop acting in competition with one another. In a state of war, you don't have the luxury for, of churches to not talk to one another because they don't agree about the particulars of the second coming. There's a tribulation before the millennium, or is it after the millennium, or is it in the middle of the millennium, or is there a millennium? That's good. Study it. Oh, praise God. Get your charts out. Wonderful. <laughs> Fine. But you know what? There are, there are kids that need to be saved. So how about if we just start sharing some resources here and, and, and work towards this? And we'll talk about that later. Right now, cover me. And then I'll cover you. Let's, let's work together on it. There is, there, there is a war going on. And we don't have the luxury to, to have churches not talking with one another or pastors attacking one another because of some fine minutiae on eternal security or foreknowledge or predestination or this or that find things to discuss, even argue about it, that's, that's okay, but never should it divide us, we've got to work together on this. What we have in common is so huge, it dwarfs in significance what we disagree on. When our army went over there to the Gulf War, it fought the, the Iraqis, Saddam Hussein, you know, they, I, I, how many people went over there, about 200,000, 100,000, I don't really know, let's say 100,000, I'm sure you had 100,000 different opinions on a lot of different issues. And that's fine, I'm sure, that when they got the chance, they talked about their politics, and they talked about their religion, they talked about this, that, and the other thing. But when the guns started firing, and the bombs started going off, all of a sudden, what mattered there was not your opinion about whether you're Republican or Democrat. What mattered was, we've got a common enemy, we've got a common task, we've got a common captain, and we've got a job to do it, let's do it. And so it is in the body of Christ. So it is in the body of Christ. There is one church. It's not a Catholic church, it's not a Protestant church, it's not an Episcopalian church or a Baptist church or a Lutheran church. There's one church it has got a lot of different spins, a lot of different flavors, a lot of different opinions. That's fine. And some, some churches can minister to some kinds of people better than other kinds of churches. But what really has got to happen is that those churches begin to bridge those differences begin to talk with one another begin to share resources how can I help your singles group here's how you can help my young married group you're doing a retreat We'll invite us alongside of it hey would you help us fill the pulpit here do you have some musicians we can borrow let's start cross fertilizing let's start acting like a team I'll be the quarterback you be the end and if you score the touchdown I'm going to cheer for you as loud as if I scored the touchdown because what matters is the team scoring the touchdown who gets the credit for it is really quite inconsequential Jesus prayed, prayed this prayer in John 17. It's his passion prayer. It's his heart. Father, I pray that they may be one, even as we are one. I pray, Father, that they may be one. I in them and they in me, that they may be one, as you and I, Father, are one. That the world may know that you have sent me. The world will know, what the world will know that you have sent me when they are one. When they have the kind of love that characterizes the eternal Godhead. When they develop relationships like we saw up here, they learn to live together. They learn to help one another. Then the world will know that I'm for real. That's a love that is not simply a uniformity of opinion. That's a love that, that crosses differences. A love that's based on uniformity of opinion. I like you because you think exactly the way I think. That's not love. Uh, th- that's just uniformity. But God-like love is a love of its differences. And where there is, and I preached on this Thursday night, where there is a unity... That is Godlike, there'll be an effectiveness that is Godlike. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit never once argued about who's going to do what. They worked in perfect, I, so far as I know, <laughs> they work in perfect unity with one another. So, also, when the body of Christ starts loving like God is love, we'll start working like God works. And instead of being this competition, territorial stuff, there'll be a unity there, a common vision that is there. But we've got to know this. The enemy knows that a house divided against itself cannot stand. A house that's divided against itself cannot stand. That's, Jesus said that of the kingdom of darkness, but it also applies to the kingdom of God. If you get an army, and that army, instead of shooting at it, the common enemy, starts shooting at one another, well, that army is going to really have, have a tough time making progress in the warfare. And having been at the receiving end of a couple of bullets, I'll just say that it is amazing, it is amazing, It's fascinating how much time some people in the body of Christ are willing to spend loading their gun and taking a bullseye at fellow believers in the body over little points of minutiae doctrine. It's incredible. Time that could have been spent out there doing evangelism, doing the stuff that's going to make a difference eternally for the kingdom. But if the body of Christ is divided, if they're fighting with one another, if they're squabbling over this, that, or the other thing, the effectiveness of that army is going to be compromised seriously. So that's exactly where the devil lands. And he, spr- he, he spread seeds of division in the body of Christ. Local bodies, trying to get controversy, but also in the body of Christ as a whole. Seeds. So seeds of racism. So that the body now uh, functions in a, in a split way along racial lines. So you don't get the black church talking to the white church, the white church talking to the black church, no one's talking to the Hmong church. They're all doing their little separate things. Nothing's coordinated. Hooray for the enemy! He sowed seeds of that. We say, oh, this is natural. Huh? This is cultural. That is... Maybe natural in the world, but that's bogus. Amen. It's just totally bogus. In the kingdom of God, it ought not to be that way. Sowing seeds of of social discord. So the body of Christ is divided along economic lines. So you've got suburban churches that aren't working with inner city churches, and inner city churches not working with suburban churches. That's not of God. That's of the enemy. Sowing seeds of denominationalism, where people begin to get their life not from Christ, but belonging to a certain denomination, and, and being right about that. The question you've got to ask yourself, and I'm not against denominations as such, fine. If they help the cause of the war, fine. if they, Fine, but, but if, if it doesn't help us further the cause, if it's not helping us, it's hindering us. We've got to ask seriously the question, okay, what role does this have in our life? Sowing seeds of discords about theological differences that don't amount to a hill of beans. Things that could be well discussed, but ought never to divide us. And church... We have just got to, it begins with us, have a vision for the church that is global. It's citywide, first of all, and that's global. And be as invested in what God is doing, more invested in what God is doing in the kingdom throughout the city than, than in our particular locale. How can we function as a team? How can we, can we block for the quarterback? Can we, can we, can we uh, go out for the pass? Can, or can we be the quarterback? Throw, whatever. Can we play the defense? Can we play the offense? But it's got to be coordinated. And if we're listening to the head, it will be coordinated because he's giving instructions. But the problem is that we've got so many divisive walls and and ideas and traditions that get in the way that we don't hear the Lord when he's talking. But there's one church. God does not want a dismembered bride. Amen? No one would want a dismembered bride. Torn apart into 18 different pieces. God wants his bride to be one bride. And he's got one bride. The trouble is the bride doesn't know it. Baptism, I believe, is an important issue and it's something for this study and pray about and think about but what is also true is this there's differences of opinion on this sincere godly people go to the Bible and they come away with different conclusions and I can't for my life picture God in heaven you get there and you say you know, I mean, he sees that you've loved him all your life you've accepted Jesus Christ you've trusted him all your life but doggone it you missed the technicality you weren't baptized right you're out of here uh, no I don't think so In the body of Christ, there's got to be this understanding that this is a this is a real difference thing. So you 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 you, with integrity read the word, you go on your convictions, but you allow for differences. I don't think, and I just say this about Woodland Hills. Um, I'm glad that this is not a place where it's it's thought that everyone has to think the same way, because we're all different and we're going to see things a little bit different. I don't expect everyone to agree with my opinions, even when I preach it. and I know a lot of you don't. You send me letters. You send me books. You try to convert me. Fine. I got, I got more free books from people trying to convert me uh, to different opinions. You know, that's fine. But, but it, see, it, it's, it's good in the body. What you get if you get uniformity all over the place is a cult. There's got to be room for, for differences here. Some of my ideas, some of you have talked to me about it. You know, Barry Joss disagrees with me on some stuff. Can you believe that? And I got a PhD. I can't eat the gall. He say, I've been reading your book, God at War. You know, I've been reading that. And um, I have some, some good stuff there. What do you mean, some? Uh, and he goes, but you know, some of the ideas I really don't agree with. But you know what? That, that's fine. Some of my ideas are out there. Okay, I'll say it. They're out there. If you learn from them, you learn from them. My whole life is out there. If you learn from me, you learn from them. The main thing is this, about belonging to the body. Are you growing? Do you agree on the essentials of the Christian faith? Uh, are you growing? Are you being challenged? Are you being, are you, are, are, is a spirit working in your life? Are you being equipped for ministry? Are you getting in fellowship? And amidst that, there's plenty of room for, for differences, and we want to just be out, out loud about that. Baptism, I believe, is an important issue, but it shouldn't be something that divides the body of Christ. Now, let me teach about baptism in two minutes. How do you say that? Uh, I, in fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to continue this next week, but let me just say one word about it that at least the one of the meanings of baptism, it, it, it was the first thing that believers ever did. When, when they uh, became believers in the early church, the first thing they did was they got baptized. Uh, they believe and are baptized. In fact, I just found out a small group that baptized a bunch of people. Uh, they just came to the conclusion that this is how to get baptized, and they went out to a river last week, and, or a lake, and they, and they got baptized. You don't have to wait eight months or whatever to get baptized. Anyone can. In fact, you don't have to have a pastor to baptize you. Now, if you want a pastor to baptize you, we've got... Uh, Some people who will do that. And we'll go out to a lake or to a hot tub or or whatever, and you'll get baptized. But it's something that when you see it, you should respond with it. And and just go ahead and do it. We've baptized dozens of people uh, in the last um, couple months who just say, you know what? I think I need to be baptized, and and we do it. It doesn't have to be a big public thing either. Read Acts chapter 8. There's a guy who got baptized all by himself. Philip and him just got baptized. It's about you and God. It's about obeying God. You read the Word, you see something, you obey it. And there's an urgency to obeying it right away. A second thing is this, and I close with this, is that, that the one of the meanings of baptism is, is, and this has to do with the whole thing about immersion, is this. Paul says we are buried with Christ, and we're raised with Christ. And what that is about, more than anything else, is this. Whatever your view of baptism is, get this meaning. That when you are a believer, God doesn't have an acquaintance relationship with you, a long-distance relationship with you, or anything. He immerses Himself in you. The word baptize means to dip. He baptizes Himself in you, and He takes you, and He baptizes you into Him. He baptizes you into His death, Paul says in Romans 6, You are immersed into his death, which means this. You're immersed into everything that he paid for on the cross. You're immersed into his forgiveness. You're immersed into his righteousness. You're immersed into his justification. You are surrounded by his holiness, which is why when God looks upon you, he sees nothing, nothing, nothing but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Robed in his righteousness. Baptism can symbolize that. It doesn't constitute that. You're not righteous because you got baptized, but because you're righteous, you get baptized. It's always important to keep the cart before the horse. And then there's this. Then you're raised in his life. Paul says that the life we now live is the life of Christ. Christ lives towards God. And just know this. When you're a believer, it's like, it's like how, how can I express this? We get on the inside of God. We're, we, we get on the inside of his heart. And we're caught up in his own triune love. We're, never, we're not part of the Trinity, but we're caught up. We're recipients of his own triune love. So that the love worship team, when you come out here, and I mean it this time. Don't do it like last service. The... <laughs> hey! Very good. And now they'll have a solo from Debbie. No, this, the love that we have for God is God's own love flowing through us to himself. The this, this Spirit inspiring us to love the Father. And the love we have from God is God's own love for his Son. We are loved, Ephesians 1.6 says, we are loved in the Beloved. God burns with a love towards us the very love he has for Jesus Christ. We're put in him, praise God. We're immersed into him. Whatever your view of baptism is, get that. And now what I want to do is to have us, as a congregation, immerse ourselves in God and have God immerse himself into us. In in worship, we enter into his presence. We enter into the Holy of Holies. He surrounds us. And so what I want to do right now is to focus on the Lord, to lift him up. That means putting aside all other cares, all other considerations. I don't care what is going on in your life. It doesn't matter right now. What matters is that Jesus Christ is glorified. Amen. And so mentally and emotionally, put aside everything else, all other considerations. We, in Jesus' name, rebuke all distractions. And let's worship him with all that is within, within us, in spirit and in truth. Let's glorify the Lord. Amen.